Welcome to Always Authors, the literary podcast that features two authors in candid conversation. On this episode, we're excited to bring you Zakia Delayla Harris, author of the debut novel, The Other Black Girl, which she is adapting into a Netflix series produced by Rashida Jones. Zakia received her MFA in creative writing from the New School, then spent nearly three years in editorial at Knopf Doubleday. Her essays and book reviews have appeared in Cosmopolitan, Guernica, and The Rumpus. Zakia is joined by Kelly Garrett, author of the suspense novel, Like a Sister, which was featured on the Today Show and was a book of the month, April 2022 selection. She also wrote the detective by day lightweight mysteries, which have won the Anthony, Agatha, Lefty and Ippy awards and have been featured on the Today Show as a best summer read. Kelly also wrote for the hit TV series, Cold Case, and is a co-founder of Crime Writers of Color. Speaking for the first time, Zakir and Kelly share with each other the role TV writing has played in their book authorship, the courage it takes to write unapologetically about their experience, and how to make the golden age of BIPOC mystery writing more than a trend. Inspiration starts now. Hi, Zakia. Hi. How are you? (laughs) Hi, Kelly. I am very good. Very excited to be chatting with you. So are you in like second book hell right now? You know... I'm hoping to be soon. <laughs> I am. Have you not started your second book? I've sort of started it, um, okay. but it's really hard for me to get in and stay in um, because there's just so many other things going on. Um, working on the TV adaptation of the other Black Girl, which is really exciting. are you writing it? I'm yeah, I'm co-writing it. That's yeah. amazing. How's it's it going? So, it's really great. It's we're still very early in the process though. Like writers' yeah. room hasn't been created yet. Uh, just have the pilot. Um, but it's it's so different. It's so different. It's and then different. I worked in TV actually. Well, so <laughs> before we get into all of this. I just want to say thank you so much for doing this. I have been wanting to talk to you for so long. Um, We have never, for our listeners, Kelly and I have never met, met. Like, we are Twitter friends. And um, I believe two years ago, Kelly, you emailed me about joining yeah crime writers of color and i was like Mm -hmm. i would love to but my book doesn't really have crime in it and you were like that's okay (laughs) come on and join us and and just from that i was like she's really cool and fast forward to now and i just well i've just finished i feel like I feel like if COVID didn't happen, because you're in Brooklyn, I'm in Jersey, we would be friends, we'd be going out for drinks, but I know. COVID happened, and I've just been sitting in this room for like two years. I know. <laughs> we'll have to do that after this. Yes, after this next wave happens, Yes, yes, after the next wave. <laughs> so in 2025, we're good. Yes, exactly. It's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Um, so that's so cool. So you are, you wrote the pilot. Yes. Yeah. Co-wrote with it with Rashida Jones. Um, okay. Did not do it all on my own. Thank goodness. It would have been a mess. Um, but yeah, we, uh, after we sold the book, bu- after I sold the book in 20, oh God, years are so hard now, 2020, <laughs> um, right before the pandemic, um, I also was very lucky to be able to also uh, get a deal with Hulu and and adapting this book into a, sh- a show. So it's been so. Did, so did you want to write it, or like was it whose idea was it to be the co-writer? And we say Rashida Jones. Who's that? Just so people know. Yeah. So Rashida Jones is a fabulous human. Um, she um, is a writer, actor, producer. Um, she was in Parks and Rec. Um, That's yes. Yeah, so I thought you were talking about. Yes, I, like, I think she's talking about. Yes, Quincy Jones. Jones Yes, and also Quincy Mm -hmm. Jones. I know I was Quincy Jones's daughter. um, Produced that amazing, and I believe also directed that amazing documentary Quincy on Netflix, which I highly recommend watching. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, she's been really like a mentor figure throughout this process. I mean, it's all been through Zoom, so that was really surreal at first meeting her and (laughs) being in like my studio in like summer twenty twenty, like the world who knows what's going to happen who knows what's going to happen but it was such a positive positive thing to to have and and so yeah we have a we have a pilot and now we're just assembling all the pieces and there's so much kelly 
There's so much. Yeah, t- it's it's so interesting because like I worked in TV not for like for a few years. Yeah. I was a writer on the show called Cold Case. Oh, I know so- Cold Case. I was going to ask you about <laughs> it. <laughs> um, my sister loves Cold Case, and so it's so just good. interesting because it's such a different experience because like it's collaborative. Like you said, that what happens is there's a writers' room mm-hmm. where basically a bunch of people are sitting around a conference room just discussing the book, you know, versus right when you're a writer, like or not the book, the the episode, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. as a writer, like of a book you're literally by yourself it's me so I'm bouncing different. my head against the wall it's yeah. a different experience yeah yeah absolutely and how I, I'm curious like when did cold case and and writing for tv come in like were you writing interested in fiction before that like do you want to yes. I guess I'll ask this formally like do you want to say a little bit about your trajectory your career tra- sure. trajectory it, because I find it so fascinating it's called I'm, I'm afraid that's my that's like the, <laughs> the theme of my career trajectory so I wanted to write since I was like five um but I would always like start stories and never finish them so I knew from an early age that I was a problem finishing the book um and so I kind of was like well I'll just do some other stuff until I can write a book so I was a journalist for a few years. I worked for a magazine called Vibe like 500 years ago. Oh, I know that. Um, then I was like, I was like, I'm going to go to film school. So I was lucky to get into USC, which is, I would argue, and I think most people would agree, the top film school in the country. And Definitely. so I got my um, master's in writing for screen and television. Then I spent a few years um, in Hollywood still developing. I worked on Cold Case, um, got let go from Cold Case. And I was like, oh, well. I have nothing to lose. And then I had a good idea for a book, which was my first book, Hollywood Homicide. And yes. I finally stopped being afraid, Zakia, and I I, I wrote it. <laughs> it took, ah. mind you, it didn't take, I, I didn't write overnight. It took like three years. Yeah. But I wrote it. And so that, that, um, was me like this dream that I've had, I had for like 30 years, 30 plus years finally mm. coming, you know, and it's, it's still hard to believe that like, oh, I did some, I did it like five-year-old me to be really proud of myself. Like yes. you, you did that, you know? Yes. Um, and what you about did you? That. You did I mean, that. I, yeah. It's still hard. I still think I'm like this debut when I'm not I'm, like five years <laughs> in, but what about you? What was your trajectory? I know obviously you worked in publishing. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I dabbled a little bit, uh, a couple years, uh, close two and a half three years I guess uh, worked at Penguin Random House before writing this book I got the idea for this book while I was sitting at my desk um, just Wait, have you talked just... to your co-worker have your co-workers read it are they like um everyone's me. read it <laughs> <laughs> which no, like, literally everyone's read it uh, oh well <laughs> thank you but it's funny I mean because when I quit so this is I started writing this book in 2019. um, And I was working in publishing at the time. And I had been promoted to assistant editor, which like anybody who knows who has anybody in publishing knows that like promotions are (laughs) a very big deal. Um, But I was very not excited about it because before publishing, I had done my MFA and I'd always hoped I would become a writer in some way. Um, Not really sure how or how full time that would be. um, But I always loved it. I always enjoyed it. Um, did my MFA, like I said, at the new school, but in nonfiction writing because I was waitlisted for fiction. Um, and then after a little bit of time in the program, I was like, yeah, I think I'm just going to stick with nonfiction because I really liked my classmates. I really liked my professors. Like, I also really enjoyed just writing in this way about myself and about the world. Um which is something I hadn't, I kind of started to do in college, but really like reading nonfiction writers just made me be like, oh, I'm gonna try this. And so, yeah, a lot of the pieces and essays that I wrote in that MFA ended up going into Nella, which is partly why there's so much of me in this book because like the hair, all the hair stuff, all the anxiety about not being black enough, all of those are things that I had experienced and was really figuring out and still figuring out um, <laughs> now. Um, and so, yeah, it was an interesting thing because, but I will add, because everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people are like, oh, nonfiction. How did that happen um, that you wrote this book? And I don't know, I feel like it's all, <laughs> it all informs the other, you know, like it's all organic and um yeah, I, I I just stuck with that. And I was also book reviewing too, which I I enjoyed. Um it's funny because I like I identify with Nella in so many different ways. 
and that I grew up um, in a predominantly white, like I was the only black girl in my school in high school. And then I did went, you grow up in New Jersey too? I did. I grew up in New Jersey in Morris County mm-hmm. in like a very like it's a red state in a blue. Uh, <laughs> it was a red county in a blue state, and so um, I grew up you know, as an, as an only. And then mm-hmm. I went the complete opposite direction where I went to historically black college. I went to Florida A&M University. Um, and I had my authentic – I remember like there was a book, Authentic Black Experience or Authentic Negro Experience. I had that, you know. And um, mm-hmm. my mom and I were talking. And the interesting thing is that the good thing about that is I'm comfortable in almost – in every space, you know, mm-hmm. like um, – like I, I, I've been that, you know, I think every black woman in corporate America has, has had that Nella experience where you like walk in and everyone like you're yeah. the only, you know, and, and they yeah. look at you, they look around and they see you and like, oh, it's diverse here. Cause they see like one black person, one mm-hmm. Asian person, but I'm that looking out. Yeah. And I see a bunch of white people like, you know, and the one Asian mm-hmm. person, you know? <laughs> and so yeah. it's, so it, but it's, I'm, I'm comfortable there cause that's how I grew up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and what about you? Yeah, I mean, same. I, I I always joke about this, but I mean, I grew up in Hamden, Connecticut. So uh, at the time, it was. I mean, it's still very diverse. But the neighborhood that I moved to, um, that my family moved us to when I was like four, four or five, maybe six, was the happened to be the whitest neighborhood in Hamden, but it was the one with the best public school. So that's why we ended mm-hmm. up there. Um, and so it was this interesting trade-off and I was we there would be other black people in my grade but we'd all be spread out so (laughs) everybody else got diversity and we got (laughs) diversity um and I I wonder about that I mean it wasn't every class but it definitely affected that and I think also I was there were there would be very few black girls too like there were black boys who were coming up with me but like again it's like so different um at least for me it felt different and so as I was going through that, though, I was very much, I was aware of being the only one, but also not. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm. I I knew during February when Black History Month happened, like, that's when I was going to feel super duper, like, different. But I was, I'm still best friends with my childhood best friend from when I was in kindergarten, um, who was a white woman. And, like, I very much never had that experience of, very lucky, um, but never had that experience of like being called anything, although I did witness that happen um, with another couple of students. But I, I very much was living, though, at home, this like very like black life, like or education. This is where we came from. And then I'd be at school and it was like this whole other life. Yeah. Um, and that really kind of continued throughout a lot of my life until I found my like black sisterhood at UNC. PWI, Chapel Hill, but I thankfully found an awkward, quirky black girl like me who then introduced me to some more really cool, awkward, black, quirky girls. And we're all in a chat still. And it's like the most beautiful thing. But I am curious because I thought about HBCUs. Like what what made you decide that? Um, do you have family at an HBCU? Had you always known you wanted to be at one? Um, so my dad went to Morgan State, which is an HBCU for undergrad. Mm-hmm. And he went to Howard for med school. Um, but I just had like the same thing. I've had I, my parents are very pro-black and like my mother, maternal grandmother was like a really well-known activist in Grand Rapids, Michigan. My dad mm-hmm. has a gym named after him in Newark, New Jersey. So like I just come from very pro-black people, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. And so like I've always been very proud to be black. I've always been really comfortable being black. Um, and I like I had a family friend who mentioned fam she's like oh i always wanted to either go to Mm -hmm. fam or to this school that she ended up going to and as soon as i heard florida a&m i was like oh and i just that's where i'm going and i went there and visited and they offered me a scholarship and i never applied to any other school you know and it was interesting because i came from new jersey and florida is the south and i think we realize that now Mm -hmm. (laughs) florida is the south Mm -hmm. but um when i was this was like the 90s i'm pretty old no and so like i think i thought of florida as like miami and yeah. disney yep. disney world like oh you know and i remember i like i went down there because tallahassee is um pretty much south georgia because it's pretty much right where the right. hill starts as i think it is don't <laughs> i can't tell people. you <laughs> um and i can remember i saw my i saw a confederate flag on a truck and i was like oh crap i'm in yeah. the south yes you know and 
same thing. I never had an experience where anyone called me the N-word, anything like that. But my senior year, some white guy literally was putting bombs on our oh campus and he's like in jail for life now and he was the vending machine replacement guy and he didn't think black people should get education and so he was putting these little makeshift bombs and wow. so that's like those are those experiences that that yeah. you have as a black yeah. person like like i would like he, he, like that's that, that, that is, is crazy. that is so crazy so. i i definitely had yeah. a, a similar moment like that where it's like ooh, right like I am in the South. Um, when I was looking at schools, yeah. do I? I basically knew I wasn't going to go anywhere in New England. It's like I'm not going to Boston. Don't like Boston. <laughs> Still don't really like Boston. I'm sorry for anyone listening who's Ooh, from Boston. Sorry, Boston. Um, <laughs> I like some parts of it, um, but I knew I wanted to just go far, um, far enough anyway. My sister had gone to uh, Northwestern. I was like, she she seems to like this. I could do this too. Um, but I remember touring and f- there was a Confederate statue on campus that years later I would learn about. I did a project on. Um, it's now been torn down. I believe 2020 it did not survive, which I love. Um, but I remember being like, huh, this is really weird. And that stayed, that feeling stayed throughout my time there and would get louder in some places. Right, yeah. And And sometimes I didn't really think about it. But like the campus, I mean, a lot of buildings named after, a lot of buildings named after very problematic people. But um, I actually, so I'm going back a little bit because, I mean, I want to talk about like a sister and Hollywood Homicide. I mean, I finished Hollywood Homicide, the first book today. Um, It's so fun, Kelly. Like you're your voice, no. your your protagonists are so rich and so relatable. Like you were talking about Nella, but I relate so hard with with Dana and um and with Lena. Lena? Lena. 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 <laughs> um, you know, you have like one voice in your head and yeah. <laughs> but I, I just have you always been a mystery lover or reader? Like what got you I mean, cold case is a mystery in itself, right? Yeah, like, it's a procedural. You start with yeah. those yeah. moments and then you go back. But like what what brought you into that world? I've always loved it. I used to love like Encyclopedia Brown. Um I yes. wasn't as into Nancy Drew because I could not connect with the pretty blonde woman with the Mustang. Like that was not my <laughs> high school experience. Um, you know, and I when I was about like my mom is a big reader and she mm. always let me have full access to any of her books on her bookshelf. So I discovered Jackie Collins like at twelve, but I also yes. discovered cozy mysteries at like 12 and I was once I found those you know and I don't I have a very overactive imagination so I can't like read really graphically like torture rape pedophilia I can't read that stuff but I still like mysteries I like to be able to figure things out so like cozies help um even domestic suspense I tend to I don't read the ones a lot of the ones with like missing kids or things like that but I Mm. I like I like books that aren't super dark but um and have lots of humor in them but ours are mysteries so mm-hmm. and like, do you consider? I feel like people say other black girl is a a mystery, oh, no. a, cr- a thriller. <laughs> but like, because I was like, it seems more like horror. And I know in the beginning part we had that tan- tannery tannery do black horror thing. And so like, how do you how do you describe your own book, uh, Kelly? I I said <laughs> oh no because I was like oh this question is always so hard. Um, this book, the way I describe this book, which I can't really put in the copy, but it's like an amalgamation of me and all the mm. weird things that I like. I mean, I I love – I wasn't a big mystery person growing up. I was more into horror like R.L. Stein and as I got a little older, Stephen King and things like that. Um, so that's where that element came from um, of the horror kind of sci-fi element. But it's funny. I mean, when I was – when I go back to when I was querying this book and trying to find an agent – um, I definitely would tweak whatever I was saying in the copy to kind of fit because I felt like there is the office, kind of the mundane nature of the office. There is um, the satire kind of, even though I feel like it's a little more real than people maybe like to admit sometimes, including myself. Um, but then also I wanted to have this element um, that really... I, the only way I can describe it, 
I feel like it's kind of like the Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to have that opening um, with that quote, uh, Black History is Black Horror, but then also the the prologue opening as a way of kind of priming the reader um, and making them maybe think that things are going to completely go in a very different direction. Um, And that's definitely something that I get the most feedback on is like, where did this come from? And like, I'm kind of like, I don't know. I'm just have a sick mind. I don't know. <laughs> I just enjoy I mean, I, like. I, I think it's great that yeah. you wrote the book you wanted to write because I think, yeah, especially as a person of color, like, or even just in general as a writer, it's like, right? Do you write to market or do you write the book you want to write? And as a person yes. of color, if you write the book that's to market, it's not about black people. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, well, totally. That's that's such a great point. And I I would sometimes and I'd be curious to hear what what your process is as well when you're writing. Um, But like I I definitely had to turn off that voice that was like that knew how publishing goes and knew how. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then I also turned it on in some places of especially with like querying and 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 comps and that whole kind of messy but also interesting I find world of the way that we talk about books and the thing though it's like it was hard to compare uh the other black girl to anything else and I also I mean full disclaimer again I don't read as much mystery as I want to but this has definitely inspired me to read more because I very much enjoy guessing and being like oh I think I know who it was yeah that's a fun and like I I like over I love over analyzing every single thing (laughs) in my day-to-day life so reading Hollywood Homicide and Like a Sister um was so much fun because I was doing that all the time and then the set the conclusion was so satisfying um in both of them but also the little my (laughs) I have a lot of favorite parts but I love that your characters have these like curses that are, <laughs> that are sometimes not like your normal one i don't know if we can actually curse on this podcast they but can like bleep it. yeah it's like s nuts like, i'll say shit nuts. um yes <laughs> so good it's so good and i have to ask you like i mean this is maybe my biggest um interaction with mystery is murder she wrote <laughs> did oh. you ever watch murder she wrote can i tell I, you i never i've never is that horrible i've never watched it is that oh horrible it's admit, so i never watched it maybe i should I mean, maybe i don't know wait can you tell also maybe for listeners who aren't as familiar with the mystery world uh can you define what a cozy mystery is sure um so a cozy mystery in the overall sense is normally an amateur detective who um it's lighter it's a lighter book so there's usually no cursing in it there's no sex there's no on-screen violence um and it's you know usually lighter it's it, it has it's could be funny it's usually funnier um more traditional mystery um and it's a whole subgenre and i grew up listening like reading them and it's interesting because recently it's kind of become very narrow in, in the definition like my hollywood homicide is a book um, about a, a semi call her a semi-famous mega brook black actress who um drives past a hit and run, sees a billboard offering a fifteen thousand dollar reward and realizes like, oh, maybe I might know something about it. Um and it takes place in Hollywood and it's very funny, my opinion. And, it's so um, funny. And um, it's so funny. And so I thought I was writing a cozy and it's funny because you were talking earlier about how because you knew so much about publishing, that's like you had to turn it off. I would came into it very naively where there aren't – now there are books of cozies or lighter books um, and mysteries of, by people of color, um, mm-hmm. including black women, but there were not back back in my day when I started this book in like 2011 and got it finished in 2014 and went on sub in 2015 and took a year to sell. And I thought, oh, well, obviously no one's writing these books. That's why. And so I'm just going to write the book. And – it wasn't that. It's just that publishing's racist. And so they didn't yeah. – they weren't publishing these books. And so right. – They're like, who is the audience? Right. Like, we don't know how to exactly. find the audience exactly. even though we have all the tools to find the audience. <laughs> and so, like, so Hollywood Homicide took a year to sell and it sold to a mid-sized publisher, uh, Midnight Inc., which is now closed. And I always tell this story um, and not to, not to 
toot my own horn, but because I think a lot of times people who are, I'll just say like white are not used to realizing their privilege. They're like, oh, well, if your book didn't sell, it just wasn't good enough. Right. That's the, mm. that could be the only, it's nothing to do with any, it's not racism. It, you're, it's just not good enough. So my book, right. the book that, that, that Terry bought had very little edits when it got published and it won four major awards. It won the Anthony, the Agatha, the Lefty and the AP Award for Best First Novel. And three of those are three major mystery awards. It got two star reviews. It was debut of the month in Library Journal. And so I say that again, not to brag, but to say that the same book that had all these accolades took a year, over a year to sell. And every big yes. five publisher rejected it. So you can't tell me that I'm not good enough <laughs> mm. versus I'm no so, one gave me the opportunity, right? I'm so glad, Kelly, you said that because it can seem – the publishing world can seem like such a machine um, that – like I, I, and this is the thing about publishing that <laughs> – there are a lot of things about publishing that frustrates me, but it, it – can it shows itself it, it how do i say this it pretends to be in a lot of ways um this very like wholesome's not the word but like it's very objective and that it, like we're just publishing right. like what the world wants to read but like i right. and i think for people again outside of the this world it's like you kind of assume everything that's published is important like there are all these hoops you go through, but it gets so complicated when you know all of those factors. And so I, I definitely have that in the, my mind of just also how many books, period, that don't get bought for the reason of like, oh, we just we just bought a book by this Black author. We just bought a book by da-da-da-da-da. And it's like, it's so infuriating. Um, but also I think it's important for especially writers who are working on their craft and it's so important to write the story you want to write <laughs> um, yeah, because don't, don't write to market. Yes, exactly. And I feel like it's easy. It's easy for me to say that, um, but it's so important um, because when it's that representation of what you want, it's going to feel so good when you get it published and see it in the stores and, right. and have conversations exactly. like, like not Like you didn't sell out. I, think, yeah. I was like, cause I remember my cousin was like, you should just write about white people because <laughs> I had friends who like would sell their book in like six weeks. And I was like, I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want to write about, I want, you know, and that's one thing I think I'm stubborn in that, as people know, I'm very stubborn in that way. And I think even now, like, it's interesting because publishing right now is in this interesting place where now they want diversity, right? Yes. And they're like throwing money at us and it's a part of it as George Floyd, which is, should not be a reason why you should, you know. And And my thing is, I'm like, well, that's great, but is this something that's a status quo? quo or is this a trend right because in the not in the 90s with mysteries there were a bunch of black mystery authors mm -hmm. who were published and then by like 2005 almost like only persons like walter mosley and a couple other people who were still published right yeah, and my wild. thing is i'm always that's publishing that's a business yeah. right and so my thing is i'm always writing black people mm -hmm. i wrote black people before we were trendy mm -hmm. i'm writing it now that we are trendy and when we're not trendy anymore, which hopefully is not happening, hopefully it's now like the success of your book and like Sean Cosby's book and all these people's book will make it a status quo. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be writing about black people all the time, Yes, you know? Yes. And so that's why I think I get frustrated when like certain people like all of a sudden decide to like be diverse and throw all these diverse characters and stuff. And I'm like, you're doing it because you think it's an easy sell. I'm doing this because this is like what I truly believe. And this is my passion. Yes. So. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I have that concern all the time <laughs> even with this book where it's like I still had to go I didn't have to go through the system and I have had people ask me like did you think about self-publishing um which is like why would they jump to that well, like that was a jump thing they jumped to? I think in terms of I mean not and and black people have asked me this to be honest because of how much I'm kind of like publishing, not kind of, definitely talking about publishing in a negative way in this book right. and how all of the systems are uh, very, very messed up. And so I've had that question and I've thought about it of like, huh, you know, why didn't I do that? And I think the obvious reason is like, <laughs> I really wanted this book to find readers um, in a way that like I knew on my own, I could, I like, I'm so bad at social media. I'm so bad at like, doing being in that world like I wish I could do more but I just like cannot um 
And so all of those things is like, yeah, I mean, I just got to go through the traditional system. Um, and I'm, again, feel so lucky that I found a team that, uh, you know, understood this book again and just like knew what I wanted it to be. Didn't make me change the all the, the black references, explain the hair thing. I talk about that too. Yeah. So because that's the thing. So like that's I want to talk to you because I um First of all, like, obviously, I got all the references, Jack and Jill, CP time, even like the read. I was like, yes, I get it. Like, you have my favorite line in the book is you say, like, it took me years to grow this hair. And I was like, that, I, that's black people like, it's not inches, it's years. Like, I get that, you know. Yes. Um, and so I was like, it's funny because the best compliment I've ever gotten about a, my book, it was Hollywood Homicide. And this black woman said on my favorite gossip forum that she didn't even know I was reading it. Like, I felt like she wrote this book for me. Oh, yes. And I felt like you wrote this book. Like, I'm like, I see myself in Nella. I see myself in Shawnee. I see myself in all these characters. Um, and, like, how much, like, did you did you have to struggle with, like, how much do you explain? Because th- you didn't explain Jack and Jill. Yeah. You know, I don't think you ever said, like, CP time was. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And you just assumed people knew. And it's funny because um, that's what I was struggling with with, like, a sister. And I remember I, like, have a line about, like, laying my edges. And I yes. put a note into my editor. Like, black people understand <laughs> this. Like, I'm not explaining this. You know? So, like, like. Like, how was that a struggle for you to do? Yeah. Like, and did they like? Did people ever go like, "What does this mean? Do they not understand?" Like, how did how did that work for you? Yeah. Oh, I again feel very lucky because I did not have to. I didn't have to uh, change any of those things. Like everything that was in this, I, I wrote as it was. But I think part of why I had such a clear runway is because this book is literally talking about the ways publishing um, can silence Black women, can silence our voices. <laughs> so, I mean, it's maybe a very cynical way to look at it, but I do feel like I had a lot of space to make this what I wanted it to be because the whole point is we deserve to be in this space just as much as anybody else. And we deserve to not have to explain 4C hair because you know how many times I've had to look up references and A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all of these books. Um, And I think we're the better for it too. Like I have gotten, this has been really fun. I'm curious if you've experienced this um, from people you know or people you don't know, but so many white readers have told me they have looked up <laughs> 4C hair. Um, they have looked up, um, I can't think of another reference, but um, writers that I mentioned in this book that maybe were not learning um, in mm. mainstream education or in elementary school, like all of those things. And that is going hand in hand with your comment about having Black readers be like, I feel seen. That is also very satisfying to me where it's like, cool, you did the work. Look how easy that was. We can keep doing that. Um, and I feel very lucky, but I also, like, I hope that continues for other writers. We're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsor, but when we come back, we'll pack our bags for a metaphorical trip to a desert island. Because we're both avid readers, Kelly, I want to point this out for a second. Always Authors is sponsored by Bookfinity, a free online service that was created by readers for readers. It is super easy to use, too. Just go to bookfinity.com to set up a free account and take their brief quiz that identifies the kind of books you like to read the most. Then Bookfinity matches you with books you'll love and introduces you to authors you might not know yet. You can give a thumbs up or down to the books they suggest so each time you visit the site, their recommendations become more refined. Bookfinity helps you curate your own personal library from the comfort of your own home. So I'm going to check out bookfinity.com and see what new books they help me discover. Always Authors is committed to supporting independent booksellers everywhere. Today, we're giving a shout out to Two Dandelions Bookshop on Main Street in Brighton, Michigan. Two Dandelions feeds minds, hearts, and souls with every book sold. So Kelly, yes. if you were to be stranded on a desert island, uh, these are the three books I would recommend. The Spook Who Sat by the Door by Sam Greenlee. Uh, Goosebumps, Choose Your Own Adventure, Scream of the Evil Genie by R.L. Stein, And Roald Dahl's collection of short stories. So The Spook Who Sat by the Door um, by Sam Greenlee 
came out in the late 60s, early 70s. I don't know if you've if you've read it, but it's essentially about this black man who um, is hired to become a CIA um, agent. Um, and he's really good at the training and all the stuff that goes into it. But the reason why he's been hired is because they're like, oh, we got to just hire one black guy. Got to have this token to, to for political reasons. Um, but then he ends up going rogue and starts fighting the system. That's at the, in the short way of saying it, um, because I think it's just a fun read without knowing too much about it. Um, I love spy so, stuff, so I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, it's really fun. It's also a movie that came out in the 70s. I didn't see it yet, um, but I've heard it's really fun. So so that's one. And then, of course, Goosebumps. Um, <laughs> I feel like if you're on an island, it'll be nice to have a lot of different endings <laughs> available. So that was me <laughs> cheating with Choose Your Own Adventure. <laughs> I loved those books when I was a kid, too. Like, it was so much fun. Um, and then... Um, for why am I blinking out on my oh Rodal? I have been having so much fun reading Rodal's short stories that are for adults. A lot of them are very dark and twisted. Um, the specific one that I'm talking about is the best of Rodal. Um, oh. There's, I mean, there's a little bit of death in it, but nothing too intense. So very. Fun. I can't wait to check those out. I um, used to love Choose Your Own Adventure when I was younger, so I'm super excited about the R.L. Stein book. Um, <laughs> so for me, when I think Desert Island, I think of the beach and a beach read. So I'm going to suggest uh, three what I consider beach reads um, by women of color crime fiction authors. Um, so when you're on that desert island, you can be twisting and turning so the time goes quickly. Um, so the first one is by Sandra S.G. Wong. It's called In the Dark We Forget. It comes out this summer. Um, she's Canadian and she is of Asian descent and so is her main character. And it's really interesting because it's about a woman who um, wakes up with amnesia and has to figure out what's going on. The second book came out last year. You might know Wanda Morris. Um, it's called All Her Little Secrets. And it takes place in Atlanta. And it's about, it's kind of like a legal, kind of, kind of an update on a legal thriller um, about this black woman who comes into work one day and her boss is dead. And she has to figure out what happened. And then the final one I'm going to say is not what I was going to originally say, but based on our conversation, I would definitely say to do uh, the Blanche White series. I'm going to cheat and give you all four books um, from the Blanche White series by uh, Bar the Barbara Neely. Um, the first one is called Blanche on the Lamb. And again, it's about um, this deep, deep, deeper, complected black woman who's a maid um, and uses the fact that she's basically invisible to a lot of people to her advantage when it comes to finding out what's going on when people die around her. So those are my three suggestions. I can't wait to read uh, yours. Those are so good. Those are so good. I loved all her little secrets. Um, oh, you already read it. We can read it again. <laughs> no, I will read it again. I will read it again. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go back a little bit. It's interesting because people, the crime fiction community, like, especially the people of color in it, like we're super supportive of each other. Like we are like each other's biggest cheerleaders. And some people don't understand why it's not like a competition. Like, you know, like we all win. Nell and Hazel, like, and it's like, because if one of us wins, we know we all win because the success of your book. And like, again, I mentioned, I'll mention Sean Cosby. I say yes. Cosby is a really good friend of mine. That's great because I can't get mad at y'all because that means that you are probably the reason why I got the money I got for my book and I'm getting the promotion I got for my book. And you're opening the door for people behind us. And so I'm like, I can't, I can't be a competition for me because I know that we're all in this together and we all have to yes. be in this together because of the stuff we're going yes. through. Yes, right? yes, absolutely. We're all standing Someone said this to me. I can't take the credit for this, but we are all standing on one another's shoulders and like just trying to get yeah. over this, this whatever, the, get through whatever this is, <laughs> this world we're living in. Yeah. And it's it's funny because especially in crime fiction right now, it's a, it's another golden age, you know, yes. um, when it comes to people of color, period. And I feel lucky that I am able to be publishing at this time. And, you know, and and the great thing about crime writers of color, which is this group I started with Walter Mosley and Fiji Pondian that you're a member of mm -hmm. is that we have over 300 members and it's people like Walter Mosley and Naomi Hirohara, Sujata Masi, who are these people who have been publishing 
since the 90s or early 2000s. And then we have new people like, you know, you who are debuts and people who just want to write a book. And just to have all that experience and that knowledge and like the like the Shajadas and the Naomi's will, will share their knowledge, you know? Yes. And it's like, it's just really amazing to like hear their stories. And I'm like, if this is the best time for us, person of color to be publishing crime fiction or publishing period i can't imagine what they were going through because we still go through yeah. a lot of bullshit right like yes. so i can't imagine what like walter and like naomi and sujata were going through and they had their books about their you know brown people and mm-hmm. you know japanese people and like it's just like i can't imagine what they were going through you know and the fact that they're still publishing it i'm just saying i know i a thousand percent like i think about that all the time when i was at penguin random house i think about tony morrison being at random house and just like all of yeah. this stuff all of the things, all of the, all the things that we didn't have hashtags for yet. You know, not saying that hashtags <laughs> fix everything, but like the visibility just, it was so yeah. different. But this actually is a good, this leads into my other question for you. Um, I mean, we talked a little bit about your introduction to mystery, but in general, like who are some creators, doesn't have to be writers, but like people you're influenced by or or feel inspired by? I mean, I think when it comes to current, there's this woman named Rachel Hazel Hall, who it's funny, I have, you can't see this, but I have on this shirt that is a, um, it's a black unicorn with Afro, an Afro for their hair. You see it? And it's so, beautiful, um, everyone. It's <laughs> beautiful. Hopefully they'll show a picture of it, like my, just my boobs. Um, yes. And so, <laughs> and so, um, Rachel has been publishing since like 2001. She moved to crime fiction like 10 years ago. Um, And she's been consistently publishing books, black books, like a beautiful black woman as the lead character in these crime fiction novels. And I don't think she gets, she's getting to do recently, but I don't think Rachel really gets to do. And when I first um, Mm. came out with my book or first announced my book deal, she slid in my DMs and said, it's like seeing a unicorn. Which is why I I call black auth- black women authors unicorns. And I have my shirt I just bought. I put it on for this. Yes. And and so like she just inspires me because she is she has a day job. She has a family, and she just keeps putting out these amazing books. Yeah. I know. Like it's just it's just all these toxic things. Are it was the most recent. She has one coming out in September. And I'm not gonna butcher the name. Um. And so like people like that. And um. Barbara Neely was this black woman in the '90s who um came out she was a mystery writer yeah i've never um, read her she said that she, i i know the name oh that's the, that you should read yeah. it um blanche on the lamb okay. we all down. that for our the three suggestions okay. and so um and she came out right after walter you know and that again that was when the next last trend was for us you know and she would write about social issues too and her her main character was this dark darker deeper complexion um maid and who was from the Boston area, but would spend time in the South for a couple of books. And um, and she used the idea that she was invisible because she was the maid and she was this big black woman who's not conventionally attractive mm. to a lot of society. Mm-hmm. And um, and she would use that to her advantage in these books. And they're more very much slice of life. And she was like talking about like lead in the water like 20 years ago, yeah. you know, before like Flint made it this big news, you know. And so I'm just inspired by her. And when I won my Anthony, she was the last woman of color to win Anthony. She won in 93. I won in 2018. So, like, that was oh a big Oh, my goodness. Um, and I – yeah. And so she was um, – she just – she passed away right, right when the p- pandemic happened. Um, but I was able to, like, talk to her a couple of times. And I was just in awe. Um, Valerie Wilson Wesley is another amazing black woman, uh, crime fiction author, who is from New Jersey. So she'd write about Jersey. And, like, I was just so inspired um, by her. So there's like this whole generation of people who came, again, who came before me and I feel like I'm standing on their shoulders. Obviously, Walt, I can't not mention Walter Mosley, who is weird because he's a friend of mine now. Like if I called him, he'd answer. That's oh. just strange to me that like Walter Mosley's my oh, friend. That makes so much sense <laughs> um, do, you, do you have any like any... <laughs> I love that. <laughs> do you have any interesting like people you've met that you were like surprised, like like any like people you admired who, who, who you met and like, like wow, like yeah I mean I've been I've been it's been hard only because I since I published the other black girl in the pandemic I mean it wasn't 2020 it was 2021 but still a lot of my things were 
virtual. And so it's been Mm. more so through Twitter and Instagram. But I mean, I'm, of course, inspired by you and the entire community. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm not not really on social media as much as I could be, but it feels and felt so nice to just have that space and to to see, like you were saying before, of everyone just lifting one another up. Like those those vibes are so good. And I they really sustain me in a way that I I don't think about enough, but it's it's just beautiful. So um but yeah, I mean other writers, there are a lot of writers who also writers of color who published around the same time as me last year that I've gotten to know. So Donnie Walton, um, author of Final Revival of Flynn I Mac. went to undergrad with Donnie. She oh, yes, and I went to undergrad together. Florida. Wait, what is <laughs> Yeah, Florida AM. Florida AM in Tallahassee. She was a couple she was a couple years older oh than me. God. But um yeah, it's so funny because I her it's book so blew good. up and I'm like like Opal Nev and I was like, I've known Donnie's and she was like twenty years old and I was like Wait, eighteen. So it's kind of so amazing. Fun. Um Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she's just great. She's just so, so so much positive energy. I mean, Mateo Escarapur, author of Black Book, um, which we joke our our books are siblings <laughs> because they're both about black people working in white spaces and they both go pretty off the rails. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he's just great. Um, and he's also around my age, I think a year older or younger, I can't remember. But like, I think that is is really nice because like, I don't know. I am always kind of like in my MFA program, I was the youngest person um, in nonfiction. And that was very intimidating in a way where I was like, I have nothing to write about. Like I haven't even lived my life yet. Um, but it's been cool to to bond with Mateo over. Yeah, just like figuring that out and navigating these spaces. And we've been on a lot of panels together. Um, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now, which is why I'm like, <laughs> getting me looking away but but yeah and then I mean I'm actually really inspired by I'm a big music person okay big big music person so I mean Aretha Franklin Sam Cooke allegedly she's my relative wait allegedly. what how did we not my start the interview with that st- <laughs> uh, so my grandmother um her maiden last name is Franklin and so I'll show you a picture because they kind of look alike Oh my gosh! And she—that's uh, my grandpa. She swears. Can you see her? She's like she swears that she. Oh, yeah. um, I can see it. Like they're distant cousins, and she went to California, and she went to Aretha's house, and she told Aretha that she was dressed inappropriately. Which honestly, <laughs> knowing my grandmother, that could happen. That's like a fifty-fifty <laughs> chance. I don't know why she'd lie about that, but I could see her telling Aretha Franklin to like cover her boobs up. I could see that <laughs> happening. <laughs> that's such a good story. <laughs> That's got to be worked into the next Hollywood Homicide or something somehow. Oh, it's like, and I was just like, if I ever meet Theresa Franklin, I'm going to be like, do you know my grandma? <laughs> Did she tell you to cover your boobs? <laughs> That's amazing. I don't think I have any fun stories like that. <laughs> like, I will. I, well, I, if you if you have to go to LA for uh, some some stuff for your your TV show, you'll you'll find you'll find some LA because celebrities yeah. are everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's so true. That's so true. That's that's wild. Yeah, I I mean I I grew up listening. I grew up listening to a lot of like old like old black people music I guess like oldies like the spinners the stylistics like and so anytime I'm listening to that kind of music uh do you write with music that was a question I was gonna ask you too I do I do but it depends where I am in the process like what I'm listening to if I'm like trying to power through a deadline I'll put on lemonade or some album that like I love and I can write through that I don't necessarily try to sing along with because I I cannot sing along with, <laughs> I mean, most singers, but Beyonce for sure. I don't have a great voice at all. So um, I do, but sometimes when I'm like, it's three o'clock in the morning or whatever, and I'm like, I just need to send this out, um, I will not listen to anything. Um, but that's the only time. I need to have it in the background. because I'm the opposite. Drift. Really? I hate writing. I literally I hate it. Like my really, if, you, if I email you, you'll see that if you go down to the bottom, it says, "I hate writing. Love having written." It's a Dorothy Parker quote. So, I, but I love rewriting, and so um, yes, 
I can't have anything and I only can write if I sprint with people. Like this is me, professional writer for books yeah. and y'all. Um, and so, Sprints are great. Sprints are great. Oh, yes. Yeah. I do it with my friend Liz every mm-hmm. every day. And so wow. – um, and I'm still far behind on the book, but whatever. Um, yes. It's I was going to ask you about that too. Um, and, so, and so um, it's – I can't have anything because I get distracted. Like if I have Beyonce playing, I'll be trying to like do the uh-oh dance like in my <laughs> living room and like not writing. And so yeah. – um, so, yeah, like, I can't. But I, I think that's the great thing. I hate when people are like, give advice to writers because I'm like, you have to find what works for you. And I think sometimes yeah. people want to make people feel bad. Like, I don't write every day. Um, do I think about my book every day? Yes. You know, right. and I hate people like, well, right. if you don't write every day, you're not a real writer. That's bullshit. Mm-hmm. You are a writer. You have to write more than you don't write, you know. And so I hate to, like, give advice. I can just say this is what works for me. And I, you have to unfortunately find what works for you, and don't feel bad if what works for Stephen King mm-hmm. is not what works for you. You guys are both writers. You and Stephen King are both writers, first and listening to this, you know. And so, <laughs> that's the thing. So yeah, yeah, that's so that's that's a really great point. Um, and I, I feel like even depending on what I'm working on, my what I need changes. Um, like I. If I'm, if I'm sitting on a couch versus sitting on at my desk, like journaling, am I writing an essay? Am <gasps> Do I... you journal when you figure out your books? So this is a really good question. Um, I just bought <laughs> like my sixth journal this past week where I was like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start journaling again. And then it's probably going to turn into another journal for something else of like notes or whatever. But I, I do want to get back into it because – I used to, when I was younger, write in like a diary kind of thing. And especially with this book, my book coming out last year, there's so much, just so much happening um, and so many emotions. Just, I mean, in general, in life, there's so many emotions, but also having the book come out and like just the year that 2021 was. Um, And it's hard to remember some of those really great feelings, especially if like you're tagged in a negative post and you're like, just what's or, going on? Don't get on? me Why started on that. This? <clears throat> ah, ah, I need to go back to my happy place. And so that's where um, I really want to be in terms of journaling, like writing down, like after this conversation, I want to write down how much fun it was and how this kind of thing makes me feel because it feels so nice to be in community. Um, yeah. But I think it's when you're like stressed or overwhelmed you know, it's hard to it's hard to figure that out and balance everything. Have, have you heard of a site called uh, futureme.org? Writing it down. So I have been using it for probably over 10 years and you literally send um, letters to yourself in the future. And I don't journal every day, but like if there's yeah. a point where I'm super low or super high, I will yeah. write a letter to myself and send it to the future. And oh, I so love good. that because – it's kind of like – it's funny because I'll get a note from like 20, I don't know, like 11, and I'm like super depressed. And I'm like, what am I even depressed about? Like I don't remember that. So it helps me put things in context of I'm really upset about this now, but in you know a year, sometimes even tomorrow, I'm not going to remember this. you know. And so don't give that much energy to it and let it ruin That's your whole good. whatever because it's, you know, it's life. Yeah, yeah. That that is wild too when you find those things from your I've I've recently found some like stuff from high school, like my notes on random things. And then like my diary. (laughs) Yeah. High school Zakia had a lot of feelings. (laughs) (laughs) All all the feelings. (laughs) All the feelings. And who knew she was gonna put them in a book one day. (laughs) But what's your next I mean, what's your next uh venture what are you working on now you're working on your next book yeah so i have a two book contract which is great but also it means i have to write another book um (laughs) and it's interesting because um i had a hard year with the pandemic um my grandpa passed away last summer and i was like super close to him yeah it was it was hard and like he was like my dad already passed away and my grandmother passed away so he was like pretty much the last person and my dad's side of the family um so i'm in the one in charge of like getting everything together with his estate um yeah. and so i've just been going through a lot of stuff and it's interesting because i talk about the whole strong black woman thing and like a sister which we actually haven't talked yes. about but and like the no, sister i, I talk about the idea of the strong black woman 
and mm-hmm. like feel like we have to be strong and take care of everything and trying to like allow myself to be like, you know, I'm not okay. Like I am not okay. You know, like yes. I once a month I have a cry. I have a just dis- yes. I just sit and I cry. You know, it's so and important. It's so important. Yes, and I but I would never like I would never allow myself to do that. And it's funny because yeah. that's one of the benefits of the pandemic. And unfortunately, my grandpa passing away is like Kelly. Like just admit you're not okay. You yeah. know, and so um I had a book that was due in January, and did I finish it? Nope. <laughs> you know, but I had to be Good like instead of. Making myself feel bad about that because then I'm not going to write. I'm not going to, if I feel bad about not writing, I'm not going to write. Right? Versus like, oh, this is just, a, this was just a bad day because I had to take care of, like, I have a day job, work stuff or estate stuff for my grandpa or something like that. Anyway. Yeah, and so, yeah. um, so I've been very slowly working on a book, which I'm really excited about finally. And I was not excited about it last year. Um, it's called Missing White Woman. And it's um, wait. We have to pause for that title. That is, <laughs> I immediately am like, give this to me now, please. <laughs> it's it's so it's interesting. So it's about um, I spent um, I was at a writers retreat maybe like right before the pandemic um, in Baltimore at a friend's house with a four story row house, and I was by myself and she was not in town. And I was like, I could come downstairs from this bedroom and see it find a dead body in the foyer, and not know how it got there because I could not hear anything. And her name was like, who is this woman? Like, that's the mystery writer in me. And I'm always like, what? The worst that's going to happen. And so, um, like, the neighbors be like, like, who is this woman? Like, why'd she kill the person? And so that's the book is this black woman and her boyfriend come to Jersey City um, for a romantic getaway. And she wakes up one day and her boyfriend's missing. He's gone. And there's this missing white woman, kind of like a Gabby Petito, like, who's been in the news. Like, everyone's Mm. talking about her. Like, all the TikTok slews are looking for her. And she's dead in her foyer. And, like, what happens when no one knows who she is and they just think her either her or her boyfriend killed this woman? You know? And it's interesting. I had the idea after the – around the Gabby Petito thing of the TikTok slews because there were all these TikTok pages that would just talk about – what happened to Gabby and have these really just all out there, like, because they weren't real, like, police officers. So they would just, any random theory they had, they would throw it out there without thinking, like, what's the repercussions of yes. pretending, like, oh, this man who I saw here is obviously, like, the guy who killed her, Brian Laundry. And so I'm really, like, playing with that idea a lot, too. Oh. And I'm just, like, I'm finally having fun with it. The problem yeah. is I'm still far, I'm still behind on it, but I'm, I'm having, I'm having fun with it. And I know you're working, obviously, on the net, uh, the Netflix adaption of um, The Other Black Girl, but do you have another book idea you're dying to write? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> okay, you say no, it's like, totally fine. <laughs> no, the, the thing is, I do, and that sigh, and people can't see me necessarily, but I just looked off into the distance, and that was me looking at all the ideas that I have, and I'm just like, I can't... I'm the kind of person who... Sort of like what you're saying, I feel like you have to really be ready to be yeah. in that space. And right. I just know I need I need to be like marinating in some juices when I start writing this book That's, because no, sometimes you have you know, to because otherwise you're yeah. just gonna put crap on the page and it's, it's just, a waste of time. It's a waste exactly. It's a waste of time and I really wanna use that time to the best of my ability, especially because I've been, you know, fantasizing about that time for a while. So so later this year, for sure, we'll be hopping into that. Um, and I can't say too much. Do you have it? Do you have a? Is it? Do you have a two book deal or is is, is it? It was is just one, deal? which okay. like oh, you're in get. some ways is great, but also like I'm a deadline person. Like I will wait to the last mm. minute to do things, but that's oftentimes the time when I put out my best work because I'm like I can't fail. It's very unhealthy, but it's been working for me in this way. So. Um, okay. I have to really give myself deadlines or make my agent, my lovely agent, right. give me deadlines. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to hop into that. I downloaded uh, Scrivener recently for my first time. Girl, good which luck I've, with that. I've tried it so many <laughs> times and I cannot figure that out. It's, it's, I've only been using it on my computer. I heard the conversion to the phone is hard, but I like it just Wait, because they have, like. They, I didn't know they had Scrivener on the phone. The idea of writing yes, on the phone scares me. But <laughs> yes, I know. No. I, but I like it just because you can organize just characters. Yeah. You can have a whole – that's that's really what I need. Like I like visualizing um, more so than tabs on Microsoft Word. I mean that's that's me so far not having really started the book. But 
We'll check in. <laughs> we'll check like, you, have, you, have to, you have to be positive. You have to be like, yeah, I'm Scrivener. I'm going to yes. kill it. Scrivener. I'm going to kill great. it. It's going to be great. Um, <laughs> well, I, I feel like I could talk to you forever. What we're going to um, do is we're going we're gonna to get drinks. Yes. Yes. Not gonna in 2025. We're going to get drinks like yes. probably tomorrow. I'm going to be like, look, yes. let's hang out. Um, yes. Let's, let's do that. it. I come to the city um, a couple days a week for work. So let's let's do it. Perfect. Even though goodbye to everybody else, it's not goodbye to you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. This has been, again, such a delight chatting with you. Thank you for all you are doing for the mystery writing community, for the writing community, for black writers. Like, everybody needs to check out Kelly's work. Um, <laughs> and thank you always, author, so much for having Yes. yes, thank you. Thank you for inviting me for the chat and to all these authors for having having me come. It was a fun combo. Thank you for listening. Please visit alwaysauthors.com to learn about upcoming episodes, to read a transcript of this episode, to buy the books discussed here, and for more information about our sponsors, bookfinity.com and Buxton Books. Always Authors is an exclusive production of Atomic Focus Entertainment. Cheers.